0: Please open your Bibles with me again to 1st Samuel chapter 16. We'll study verses 1 through 13. 1st Samuel chapter 16 verses 1 through 13. Hear the word of God. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you, and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. "'Consecrate yourselves and come with me to sacrifice.' "'And he consecrated Jesse and his sons "'and invited them to the sacrifice. "'When they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, "'Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. "'But the Lord said to Samuel, "'Do not look on his appearance "'or on the height of his stature, "'because I have rejected him. "'For the Lord sees not as a man sees.' are all your sons here? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel uh, said to Jesse, send and get him, for he will not sit down until for we will not sit down until he gets here, or till he comes here. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, arise anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose and went up to Ramah. Thus far the word of God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, we have heard your voice. We pray that you would teach us about your character, that we would see you and your power and your wisdom. Oh, Lord, that we would know that not only have you been wise and have you been powerful, but that, Lord, you remain so. Subdue us by your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I barely have to remind you, but recently our church called, ordained, And installed its first ruling elders and deacons, a couple of whom we have with us this evening. And I have to just simply be honest, it's not the same thing, certainly not the same process, as the calling, the examination, and the anointing of a national king, as what we've read here in the passage of Scripture. But there are similarities, and there are things about God that can be discerned from the passage that we have this evening, Let's speak directly, not only to the men who are leaders in our church, but to our church broadly and to each of us as Christians individually. And I believe that this evening as we study this passage of scripture, that the Lord's going to bless us. He's going to help this passage, this ancient history of the people of Israel, be helpful and encouraging and instructive to us all. In verses 1 through 5, I want us to see the call of God, or excuse me, that the Lord calls. In verses 6 through 12, I want us to see that the Lord sees, that the Lord sees. And then in verse 13, that the Lord equips, the Lord equips. As we approach this passage, we find a grieving and a broken-hearted prophet in the man Samuel. And that's not hard to understand at all. He's been used of God. In fact, the whole course of his life, he has been dedicated specifically to the service of the Lord and the leadership of the people of God. But that's not why he's grieving, is it? Of course not. It's that God called him to be the one that would anoint the first king of the people of Israel. And you'll know that that king was Saul. And he's grieving over Saul's rejection by God the Father as he has seen Saul in his disobedience and in his faithlessness. And it's overwhelming to Samuel. After all, it's been his spiritual worship to see this man raised up into leadership. It has been his mission thus far in his life. The great thing that he has done for the Lord has been this. The calling, the establishment, the training, the examination of Saul as the king of the people of Israel. And so he mourns. He loves the man, even though he's angry at him. He's poured himself out and poured himself in to Saul. And he is rightly brokenhearted that this man has been rejected by God in his rule. And I think this is not the main point of the passage, but something that needs to be pointed out, that in this example of Samuel grieving over the fall of a leader, of a spiritual leader that God had called for his people, he grieves, and you and I ought to be confronted if we don't grieve when we hear the terrible story that too often comes of leaders falling spiritually and morally and being rejected from the leadership of the people of God. It ought to cut us to the heart. It ought to be for us a very terrible, heartbreaking event failure, scandal, the effect it has on the church, but more than anything, the effect it has on the fallen man in his relationship to God. But you see, it's in verse 1 that the Lord meets the grieving prophet, and he confronts him. And the Lord confronts specifically his heart as unbridled in this grief. And what does he say to him? He says, Samuel, how long will you grieve over Saul since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? How long, Samuel? Are you going to be overwhelmed? Are you going to let this drive you too far and too far down into despair? Do you see what God says? I rejected him. This isn't just something that Saul has done. This is my hand against him. The rejection of Saul is a right thing. It's a mercy to the people of God that they don't have a man who has no heart for God. How long are you going to be overwhelmed with sadness over what the Lord is doing? It's as if Saul or Samuel has his mind wrapped around this simple idea that in the fall of Saul, the purposes of God have at least been hindered. And God's answer to him is absolutely not Get up. I've got something for you to do. You can't be overwhelmed with grief, even though grief isn't a terrible thing, especially at what we're talking about. But it's not the end of the story. Saul has not upended the plans of God. What does the Lord say to Samuel? He says, immediately after saying, how long will you grieve? He says, fill your horn with oil and go. Go. I'm not done with you. Samuel, you're still the anointer of kings. You're still the servant of God. You're going to do what I want you to do. The failure and the fall of Saul has not prevented the prophecy of God that a king would be brought into the people of Israel. It has not thwarted the sovereign rule of God over his own people. There are two things I want to point out to you in verse 1, and it's firstly this. God's purposes are never undone by the faithlessness and the failures of men. God's purposes are never undone by the faithlessness and the failures of men. God will do whatever he wants. He's sovereign over our victories he's sovereign over our failures and it's not just by a bare permission that's one message that's being said to Samuel in the midst of his grief but the second thing and the main thing I think in the first section is that God's men are those whom he chooses for himself God's going to keep his word and it's God that brings men about For his own service. Look at what he says. There in verse 1. Fill your horn with oil and go. And he says I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite. The man who lived in Bethlehem. For I have provided for myself. A king. Among his sons. For I have provided for myself a king. From among his sons who is it that calls? God calls. Who is it that provides for the purposes of God? God does. God chooses who will be leader. God is the one who has the hand of vocation, that is the hand of calling upon his people. Whether it's a pastor, whether it's an elder, whether it's a deacon, whether it is here in the context of the passage, a king for the people of Israel, whether it's an apostle, God is the one who calls. God is the one who calls. I point this out this evening because I think there is, well, poor information being circulated amongst churches. Very, very poor information, confusion amongst the people of God today. And it's this. Churches think that they are the ones who call. Now, I said this a number of times in the calling of our elders and of our deacons But this is something I just want to simply repeat. God calls, the church recognizes call. God calls, the church recognizes call. And that's profoundly important because of this main fact. He's God's man, not the church's man. This is God's king, a king for himself. It's not Israel's king. God is his head, not the people of Israel. God is the head of ruling and teaching elders and deacons, not the people in the pews. They have submission to a much greater power, a much greater opinion, and that is the opinion and the power of the holy God of heaven. That doesn't mean that the people of a congregation or the people of Israel have nothing to say to their leaders. Certainly they do. But they can only hold them to be faithful to the word of God. They're not to be blown about by any want desire or complaint of any given person here there or another there to be men after god's own heart in verse two we continue and the lord uh, responds uh, to this commission uh, of samuel you have samuel saying what he says well i'm a bit afraid look what he says how can i go if saul hears it he will kill me that makes good sense really Uh, saul has an army an army that has some sense of loyalty and, well, there's power uh, that's held in their hands and it's generally the power of swords and spears and military action. And Saul knows he's been rejected. Moreover, he also knows that Samuel is the king anointer. If he sees Samuel just going about doing this or that, what's he going to think? That's what Samuel's concern is. He's going to think I'm going to make a man to go against him. and He'll kill me. He's afraid of Saul. He's afraid of these men. And it makes good sense. He's a man just like me, just like you. He's just human. But it's the response of God to Samuel that matters. The Lord said in verse 2, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice. And I will show you what to do. It's really simple. God is saying to him you better be worried about me Samuel you want to be afraid of Saul but you better be afraid of me don't worry about Saul or about what Saul cares about worry about me why don't you think about hey the necessity for a sacrifice this isn't just that he's going to bring the excuse that oh I'm here to sacrifice even when he has other reasons no these things are wonderfully united God is saying, you go and serve those people as the prophet of the people of Israel. You let me do the work of calling. You just go be obedient. Take a heifer. Bring the people together. Go to Bethlehem. I will show you what you shall do, verse 3. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Here's that second testimony about the choice of God for the coming king. The son of Jesse, the man, or in this situation, the boy, David. We go on, and in verse 4, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. And the elders of the city came to meet him trembling, and they said, Do you come peaceably? And so you can feel the humanity and the fear, the fear of Saul, the fear of what Samuel might be up to, that's in the hearts of the men. There's something like Samuel himself. And he says, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. The cleansing, the consecration, the preparation for this act of worship. And so what am I going to say to you again? The acts of men cannot go against the plans and purposes of God. God will call whoever he wants to call, and he is the only one who calls. And what does it require of us as his people? Obedience and reliance upon him. Obedience and reliance. That we're willing to obey the word of God and that we, are, we will rely on him by faith to do whatever he calls us to do. Whether that call is to be an officer, whether that call is to be an elder, a deacon, a pastor, a missionary, or whatever it is, or whether that call is simply to be a faithful church member that tells other people about Jesus Christ, a faithful worker in the workplace that has the hope and the love of Christ in his heart and is simply happy, able, and willing to submit to the call of God to share that. God calls, men don't. God directs, it's God's choice. And he'll do all things that he desires to do. In verses 6 through 12, we see that the Lord sees. That the Lord sees. And here in verse 6, we begin this this story of the examination of the sons of Jesse. When they came, verse 6, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. That's pretty simple. He judges him, looks him up and down. Eliab, this great example, a specimen of Israel. He's judging him. A whole lot like how we saw Saul actually judged a handsome man taller than the rest. It's not told to us that he is. However, he's in some sense impressive. But you have the Lord giving something of a light rebuke in verse 7 to Samuel. He says to him, do not look on his appearance, Or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. And it's what the Lord says next that teaches us tremendously about the character of God. He says, For the Lord sees not as man sees, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. Now, there's a rebuke there, isn't there? I think there is. And I think it has to confront us that we are people, well, in our humanity, that work with what we have. How do we examine things? Well, generally, we we do it firstly by what we see. Occasionally, we might get to hold an object in our hands and and feel and touch and give some further examination. As as you come and eat a meal, there are other ways you could examine it. You're going to smell. does it smell good. You're going to taste it. Does it taste good? You're going to listen to a person whenever they're saying something. Do they sound good? Do they make sense? Our examination goes through all the different aspects of who we are and trying to discern whether a thing or a person is of quality. But we're told here God's not like us. That he sees to the very heart the inclinations of the thoughts of the heart. That's what the Lord's concerned with. It's a deep examination. It's a spiritual examination. It's an examination where God is concerned with character, sincerity, spirituality, holiness. Those things that are themselves invisible qualities. That's what the Lord's concerned with. It's a deep examination. Now you know in our church that we first nominated men to office and that secondly we trained and that in the third place what did we do we examined that examination was theological it was of the character of each man it was spiritual it was a very deep and searching and touching examination but it's nothing like what the lord can do but that's what the lord requires what was it that was the issue with saul Except that he was a man that didn't fear God. He feared other men. And what was said about his successor? That he would be a man after the heart of God. The Lord is concerned with the heart. And so we go on. We read through. And there's more. It's a really interesting uh, situation. I mean, put yourself in the shoes of Jesse and Samuel and and these seven sons. Eliov didn't pass. Then Jesse catches on that something's going on he calls Avinadab and makes him pass before Samuel neither has the Lord chosen this one again the Lord is not putting it up just simply to the thought or the heart or the well feelings of Samuel no the Lord's communicating with him very specifically and he goes on neither has the Lord chosen this one verse 9 makes Shammah pass by, and he says, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Three attempts, and all three failed. And then Jesse, verse 10, gets quite involved. He understands that something's going on, whether or not he understands it's the search for the coming king. And he makes the whole seven of his sons that are in the house pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. And that's got to be one of those circumstances of great embarrassment. I don't know if you've ever had visitors in your home and ever had something awkward to happen, but I I would guess this would be a little awkward. What is Samuel doing? He's here with us specifically. He's here about some business, and that business seems to be about the choice of the coming king. And I love how Samuel, you can just tell how confused he is, Samuel turns to Jesse and he asks him, Are all of your sons here? And there comes the news. There remains yet the youngest. This is verse 11. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. But behold, he is keeping the sheep. Now, you and I, we know, of course. When you read this passage of scripture, we are students of the Bible. We've come up in the church and we know that the language of the shepherd, that's kingly language. That's the language of leadership. That's the language of, of real heart character here. But whenever this is being said, well, it's pretty common. The Israelites were a sheep keeping people. That's why you see this again and again and again come before the people of Israel as a method to explain Uh, A leader, or of a number of things, whether it's the character of Christians as sheep or the character of Christ as the shepherd. It's a bit common, but you and I ought to be thinking quite simply well, he's a shepherd. He's so concerned with the sheep that obviously he's the one. He's got to be the one. He's not loafing in the house, eating cheesecake, and hanging out with the guest. No, of course not. Where is he? He's being faithful. He's out there where they are in the hardship. He's taking on the north wind. He's defending from wolves. He's binding up the ones that are broken. He's caring for the sheep. Obviously, the people of Israel are sheep. But is that how it comes off? Is that how it comes off to Jesse? And to the other of the seven sons? No, I don't think so. In fact, I think very specifically that what this is, is nothing less than David having been despised for his youth. Very much in the same way as the Apostle Paul warns Timothy, Let no one despise you for your youth. They're judging him by the outward appearance. They're assuming things of him rather than aiming at the examination of the heart because God's concerned with the heart. That ought to confront us and it ought to instruct us in how we handle ourselves one to another. Where we don't just look and in our church think, oh, who are the leaders searching for the different person? Oh, maybe it's the one who's loud or maybe it's the one who has opinions, who's always willing and always happy to give the answer. The type A sort of personality. Maybe it's the oldest in the room. Maybe... Maybe it's the strong, the young, the powerful. Maybe it is simply the men who have given evidences of character. Men who have done so in the care of the people of God, who themselves are evidencing a totally and completely different sort of heart, a heart for the Lord. Well, you go on and you continue to read, and what do you find? Well, it's in uh, verse 12. You have David brought in, and it's, well, almost immediate. And we're being told as if Samuel is going ahead and just telling you the appearance and the outward uh, evidence. He says, now he was ruddy and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. But it's what the Lord says. How the Lord calls. Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Now you've got to imagine all the other brothers are just, are just completely amazed, completely confused. Why would it be him? Why our little brother? Why this boy, this shepherd boy? But again, it's God's call. God examined his heart. God led Samuel to do this work, this act of anointing him, a sign of his kingship. Do you know that the act of anointing, that's actually where we get the language of Christ. That's what Christ means. That's where Messiah, the Messiah, means anointed one. Set apart a person specifically chosen by God, examined by God, called by God for God's task. And Christ is the great Messiah the great anointed one, the great king over the people of God. In verse 13, we see that the Lord equips. Now, this is a fairly interesting verse of scripture. We read, and it's just the historic account, Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now this is, it's, it's an interesting account. We understand what it means to anoint someone with oil. We don't do that very often in our church. Some churches practice it. Uh, and usually where anointing happens is really in connection with prayers for the healing of the sick. That's usually uh, when the church anoints. And that's what's been handed down to us from the New Testament uh, example, but here the anointing's different. Again, it's a symbol, something to be looked on of what the Lord is doing. It has some equivalence in the church today, in what we did just a few weeks ago, where we laid on hands something for people to look at, a visible symbol of a spiritual calling or reality. It's a, a symbol, right? There's nothing magic in the oil. But it is a symbol of the Lord's calling. But the second part of it is a bit confusing. He anoints him and what we read next is that the spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. What does that mean? We've already talked about that in 1 Samuel a bit. We've read about Saul having the spirit of the Lord rush upon him. Uh, Is this the indwelling, the saving work? Of God in the heart of the man? I don't think so. We don't read about indwelling. This isn't the language of indwelling, the rushing of the Spirit upon uh, a person. Uh, What is this? How are we to understand it? Well, in general terms, I can simply say that it means that spiritually God equipped David to do a spiritual task. It is spiritual. And it's something that we ought to see and we ought to be encouraged by and we ought to be amazed at, and that is this, that God is not content to simply have leaders with character, but leaders led by His Spirit. Leaders equipped for the task of spiritual care in the midst of His people. That ought to comfort us. God doesn't just simply want you to have a general but rather pastors, shepherds, men who can be in every way the ones that keep the people of God. But there's a second thing that ought to be encouraging, especially to the officers in the room, and it's this. It's okay that you feel about as equipped to lead an entire kingdom as a little shepherd boy ought to feel. You don't have to be equipped in yourself. God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. You heard me say that in our training and say it again and again to our church and it's true. There was still a thing necessary in the life of David for his rule for the people of Israel. And it was that the Holy Spirit would bless him and help him and give him wisdom and give him understanding and give him endurance and give him perseverance in his own walk. The Holy Spirit's necessity in his life. That's what he still needed. And friends, that's what you need, men. That's what you have to have is the constant equipping of the Holy Spirit. You're only going to see that more and more, brothers. You're going to see it in every diaconate and sessional meeting that we have. You're going to come to things and you say, Lord, I don't know what to do. I don't know if I even have a word for this. Give me wisdom. Give me help. And you're going to do it if you're faithful at all in this church and the care of these sheep. You're going to do it whenever you have to walk into the lives of God's people. And I want you to be encouraged that the Lord equips. And that you don't even need the Spirit to rush upon you. But as a Christian, you have him indwelling. A deposit guaranteeing your salvation and your help. Especially as a man of God, but as an elder as a deacon. It's ought to be encouraging, I think, also to the church that even though God calls men to be crooked sticks in his hands, that he likes to draw straight lines, that it's not that you're only being served by weak men. You are being served and cared for by God, specifically the care of God the Holy Spirit. And that even the Lord is not content to give you into the hands of of the foolishness of the tongue of a pastor or even a bunch of ruling elders, but to help them and to rule over them and to protect you from their foolishness and to help you by his grace and mercy. It's an encouragement to me, I promise you that. It's a great comfort to me that the Lord doesn't say, make it up, do it of your own strength. If you're a great man, you'll do well enough, but God says, no, you must be a man after my own heart and a man overwhelmed by the Holy Spirit. It's my prayer that the Lord would bless our church, not necessarily with kings, we already have one, but that the Lord would bless the officers of our church to be men who would have their hearts wrapped around the Lord's and who would expect the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for how you care for your people Lord, how you are faithful every season. Oh, Lord, how you keep us, oh, Lord, from men that would hurt us. Oh, Father, how you send the Holy Spirit to sanctify the ministry that you would have among your people. Father, I thank you for men like Samuel, Lord, who even though they were full of fear were still willing to be obedient. Lord, we pray that you would make us people like him. Father, we pray and give thanks also to you that Lord, you're not content to call just any man, but that you need to have men who lead your church of character, real character and sincerity. Oh, Father, that you're not content even that that would be it, but that they would be men specifically cared for and led by the Spirit. Lord, bless our church. Make us strong. Oh, Lord, defend us from the attacks of Satan. Oh, Father, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.